1: I'm Howard David. We're looking at Howard David Live. We're going to take a big bite at the Big Apple with a couple of columnists for the New York Post. First, it's Ken Davidoff, who's the baseball columnist for, he's been, what, almost 10 years now with the New York Post, right?
0: That's correct.
1: And before that, with New York Newsday, uh, uh, very active resume, and uh, I actually dabbled in the radio business with WCBS News Radio in New York. Uh, let me ask you about you're feeling before Tuesday's wild card game between the Red Sox and the Yankees, just to give you an idea of where I'm going, I'm sitting there with my wife, getting ready to watch the game. And I said to her, I feel bad about this one. I don't feel comfortable. And she said, why? And I said, because Cole has been smacked around by the Red Sox over the last four or five times he's met him, And I just don't feel comfortable. And lo and behold, the first inning, uh, uh, Bogart hits a home run and, the rest was history. Uh, as you watch that game unfold, uh, were you, well, first of all, Cole, I guess, got his first, that's the earliest he's, he's ever been knocked out of a start in his career.
0: Uh, okay. <laughs> What's your question?
1: My question is, were you surprised? He had been pitching poorly lately. Although his last start against the Red Sox was a win, he actually pitched pretty capable. With the Yankees giving him a nice uh, cushion at the start, and he, he
0: pitched well. Uh, but uh, you know uh, his other recent starts were were poor. So no, it wasn't shocking that uh, he, he got knocked around a little bit. Nor, uh, Nor was it shocking that Aaron Boone lifted him as quickly as he did. Ivaldi
1: pitched pretty well. Five and a third, gave up four hits. Only one run struck out eight. Um, A couple of things. Everybody wants to know, where do the Yankees go from here? Is Aaron Boone going to get fired? Is Brian Cashman going to hold his job? What's your feeling? My feeling is Brian Cashman will will, will almost certainly hold his job. I'd be shocked if Brian Cashman lost his job. He has one more year in his contract. Uh, You know, he put together a 92-win team, which uh, by most measures is, is, is acceptable. Uh, you know, Aaron Boone is a free agent, so it's a different formula there. I, if I were to bet, I would say he will, uh, he will stay, uh, but it would, it would not surprise him if he did not. He's won 60% of his games, Boone has, in the four years he's been there. Been to the playoffs four times, but there's this sliding scale uh, league championship series. Uh, division series now the wild card Uh, so you wonder how do you halt what do you how do you stop this free fall the Yankees are on now and and then it comes down to the individual players now Aaron Judge had a very strong year with 39 home runs and 98 runs batted in Stanton uh, I would say about a month ago I was wondering why he was even in the lineup and would the Yankees consider trading him well he went on a pretty strong run the last couple of weeks uh, do you think that, well, Aaron Judge, I don't think there's any question, although after next year, he's a free agent. Mm-hmm. So the question then becomes, how high is high in terms of the money? Yeah, I think he'll do very well uh, on, a, on an annual uh, average value. I think Aaron Judge is on the older side. You know,
0: he didn't break, uh, break into the majors until he was a little older. I mean, right now, Aaron Judge is uh, 29. He'll turn 30 next April, which means, you know, he wouldn't be a free agent until his age 31 year. So, you know, I, I don't think he'll, he'll rival Bryce Harper, you know, a 13-year deal. Like I, I think he'll get possibly even less than half of that. Uh, but I think the, the number will be very high. And I do think there's a, a decent chance that that
1: extension gets done this winter. That brings me to Giancarlo Stanton. Uh, he, um, as I mentioned, he's, he, he was pretty strong the last couple of weeks. Uh, but he's making so much money. Do you even consider trading him one and two? Uh, How hard is it going to be to move that salary? Well, first of all, Howard, if if you'll allow me, it's not the last couple of weeks. It's the last two months. He's been on a rampage since August
0: 1st. Uh, No, this is a guy, first of all, above anything, he he controls his destiny. He has full no trade protection as per uh, his contract. I don't think he wants to go anywhere, and right now, uh, I don't think the Yankees are in a hurry to get rid of him. You know, he, he signed through 2027. His annual salary is actually not crazy because of the way it was structured back when he signed up with the Marlins, and because the Marlins uh, did, you know, did kick in some money and, and take a little bit of money back and Starlin Castro back when the trade was made. So. Right now, I, I can't even imagine anything to think about trading. Right now, he's an asset, not a
1: liability. Let me go back to, to Tuesday, if I may, for a couple of things. Number one, Stanton hits, uh, in the first inning, hits one high off the the green monster and kind of loafs to first base and winds up with a single. I mean, just fundamental baseball says he should have been standing on second. But let me put that aside for a second. The next time he hits one high off the wall, Judge gets thrown out at the plate. Uh, Phil Nevin, the third base coach, uh, said, yeah, he sent him and now here it is, there's one out. If he doesn't send him, there's second and third and one out. You got Gallo coming up. He says, Nevin, that Gallo coming up had no influence on his decision to send Judge. Uh, you're the third base coach. Do you send Judge in that situation?
0: No, I don't. I mean, and, and I, I think he was probably being polite about the Gallo part. Uh, I, I just think Fenway is such a small ballpark, and it, it, it's really hard to score. You know, to score from, from first there. You know, on, on that hit, and uh, you know, while Joey Gallo, I don't feel great about Joey Gallo getting a
1: sacrifice fly. I, I think uh, I, I would not have stepped back. So then it comes down to uh, you. You see where they are there, and as I mentioned, Nevin Nevin was criticized on television by Alex Rodriguez. Nevin addressed it. Yesterday, he took issue with Rodriguez's criticism, said he's never been there before, what did he know, and so on. My question's not with Rodriguez questioning the decision. That's part of his job. My question is, why is Alex Rodriguez on television? He cheated the game. Are you seriously asking this, Howard? Yes. Yeah, he didn't cheat the game. He uh, he, he may... Cheating the game, Howard,
0: is is when you don't try to win. Alex was trying to win. He broke the rules, uh, and he served his time, and now he's back, and he's one of the most famous living baseball players. So that's why he's in the booth.
1: So let me ask you this. Now, what's the difference between cheating the game and breaking the rules?
0: Like I just told you, Howard, and I will now repeat, the difference is if you're breaking the rules to help your team win – then the whole fundamental concept of competitive sports is you're selling tickets to people who want to see their team try to win. It's what differentiates it from pro wrestling, right? So now uh, when you buy a ticket to see your team try to win, if a guy steals signs or uses illegal PEDs, I guess on some moral level, that's unfortunate, and you pay consequences for that. Uh, But when uh, the 1919 White Sox were trying to lose, then you're cheating the game. When the owners collude back in the 1980s, which you remember, uh, to not sign free agents, that's cheating the game. When there is segregation in the 1940s and before, and you're not signing players because you're a racist, and therefore you're not giving your customers the best product, that, my friend, is cheating the game. All
1: right. I, I, look, I respect your opinion. You're a very knowledgeable baseball guy. I just I have a problem with that, and, and I'll just let leave it at that. Uh, let's go forward. Uh, with uh with where the Yankees go now. They got a two hundred and seven million dollar payroll estimated. So w- with two hundred and seven million dollars, Hank Steinbrenner wants to win. Uh how much does he get involved? I mean to the point of where he says, look, we have to make some moves and what might those moves be? And let me start with uh, l- let me start with uh w- with Sanchez. Do you keep Sanchez? First
0: of all it's Hal Steinbrenner. I s-
1: yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, cor- yeah. I stand corrected. It is Hal Steinbrenner. Uh, yeah. Do you keep Sanchez?
0: No, I do not keep
1: Sanchez. Uh, Gardner, you think, has played his last game with the Yankees? I do think that, does. So, do you think that the Gallo-Rizzo moves before the trade deadline were good moves, bad moves, one versus the other? How did you read it?
0: Well, I think, I think it's pretty obvious. Uh, Gallo was a bad move. Rizzo was a good move galloping control for next year but i i would would just cut bait and trade him uh rizzo is now a free agent uh i would try to resign him i think he was a really really good fit lefty bat good defender at first base just able to handle
1: all the noise that comes with being a new york yankee uh but you know it it takes two to tango so we'll we'll see if they can find common ground there galiba torres moved to second base um has had a hotter bat before this year uh, move from shortstop to second base seems to have done better there. Uh, wh- where do you see him?
0: Yeah, he's a tough one. That's a, that's a he's an enigma. You know, what, what do you do with him? Uh, you give him? You give him a fresh start at second base. Of course, you also have DJ who signed for another five years, and his best position is second base. Um, obviously, you're not going to return Glavine as a shortstop. That that is over and failed. Uh, so that is a tough one. And I you know, frankly, it's mm-hmm. too early for me to try
1: to try to forecast that one uh, the uh, the fact that the Yankees look I spoke to Dale Murphy the former great for the Atlanta Braves who, who I have a relationship with uh, for a long time before the season started keep this in mind Ken it was before the season started he said mm-hmm. he didn't like the Yankees because they had too many home run or strikeout guys he turned out to be a prophet because that when you look at the uh, the Yankees and you got Look, Judge hit 39 home runs. He also struck out over 150 times, and so did Stanton. So he's been a little bit of a profit. See, I like players like LeMayu because they hit for high average. Normally, he did not this year compared to last year. But I like players that manufacture runs. Yeah, it's important to have home run hitters, but it's either hit or miss. Is that the real formula for winning? Well, I don't think anyone dispute that you need, uh, the, the more offensive diversity you have, the better. You know, that
0: factors that into speed, base running. Uh, it factors in the type of hitter you are. You know, certainly D.J. LeMay, who is a different type of hitter than Aaron Judge. Uh, but what went wrong for the Yankees here wasn't that they struck out too many times or they didn't hit enough home runs. You know, if they had, you talk about home run or strikeout, uh, in 2019, 2018, they did plenty of both and won over 100 games both years. Uh, this year, they simply did not home run, uh, hit home runs nearly enough, so that was the problem.
1: Well, Sanchez was the third highest home run hitter on the Yankees. He had twenty three. He also struck out one hundred and twenty one times. Uh, so we, we've dealt with that. I like I like catchers that can catch, and Hiroshioka has demonstrated he can catch. The question is, Hiroshioka, can, can he hit? Higashioka. Yeah, can he hit? That's the key. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think anyone projects. Hagashioka Higashioka
0: to be an everyday catcher. Yeah, I, I think he's, uh, at most the guy you share the job with and yeah, he's, he's got a little bit of pop in his bat. He can slug a little bit. Uh, he's, he's not a guy who's going to hit 300 or probably even 250.
1: Velasquez, uh, emerged on the scene this year, obviously an excellent fielder. Uh, he, uh, I mean, can you work with this guy? Can you make him a better hitter? Uh, I mean probably not dramatically better he's not a kid he's I think he's 27 um, so
0: you know I, I doubt he can become a full everyday player can he be part of the uh, part of the solution next year while they wait to see whether their kids you know, have these kids uh, Anthony will uh, and Oswald uh, Peraza you know can they can Velazquez and Kyle Wade share the job while those kids develop I think
1: that's a possibility they missed Aaron Hicks uh, where is he now in his rehab uh, I don't know if exactly that's where he is now. I know he certainly
0: is expected to be ready for uh, for next season.
1: And he's, he could be your everyday center fielder.
0: That's the idea, yeah. Uh,
1: so when you look around, and, and I don't have a list of who the potential free agents might be. I don't know if you have either. But where might they be looking to, to try to better make this team better?
0: Well, I think, uh, I, I do think, uh, I think this will be a thing next <laughs> thing. Field, I mean, the the hot uh, commodity in the free agent market is shortstop. You talk about Carlos Correa, Trevor Story, Javier Baez, Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon. So a lot of really good middle infielders. So the Yankees have to decide should we dive in deep into the pool and sign one of those guys or uh, should we not? And, and as, as I mentioned earlier, the possibility is going Velazquez and Wade and letting uh, the kids develop. But that's clearly the area where they can uh, improve his middle infield, and, and then the other area is starting pitching. They, I think they actually their pitching looks okay. They, it was a pretty solid year pitching wise, uh, but they could certainly use a, a veteran type. I doubt they bring back Corey Kluber. So uh, there are some interesting veteran types out there uh, who will be free agents. Whether it's Justin Verlander or, or Max Scherzer or even uh, Clayton Kershaw.
1: Ken David off the uh, baseball columnist for the New York Post. Let me ask you about uh, uh, the, the division, the American League East. You've got a division where the Yankees had a winning record, if I'm not mistaken, against only Baltimore. That is not a great formula.
2: <laughs>
1: it certainly is. <isn't. laughs> uh, so now you look at this division. The Red Sox, I mean, when they traded Mookie Betts, I went, wow. Uh, but what, this, this is a young team on the come. You look at the Blue Jays, uh, they got a lot of power. They got a lot of offensive weapons. You look at the Tampa Bay Club, and there's another team that's on the rise. I mean, the Yankees got some catching up to do.
0: Uh, well, I mean, if, if we talk uh, in the most literal sense, they won as many games as the Red Sox in the regular season and, and won, won more than the Blue Jays. I'm not sure I'd use the word. I would say keeping up rather than catching up. I was an English major. So uh, I, that's that's the word I would there. But yeah, it's, it's the most competitive division in baseball uh, and those other three teams have all done great work. You mentioned the Reds. The Red Sox have been amazing uh, really since this ownership group took over in 2002. Four World Series championships and I think that many last place finishes, which is nuts. You know, the Yankees have uh, one World Series championship and zero last place finishes in, in the same amount of time. So the Red Sox have this crazy ability to tear down and quickly ramp back up Different front office people, different managers. It is uh, it is really striking and, and unlike any other team in
1: the sport. And uh, yeah, it, it's a lot for the Yankees uh, to handle, but they have to handle it. Tampa Bay, Boston is this um, is this a no brainer, or can the Red Sox give Tampa Bay a tough series?
0: No, it's I, I think the Braves are certainly strong favorites, uh, but uh, anything can happen in these, uh, in these series. You know, we're talking about small samples here, and yeah, I, I know for all the talk about the Yankees. And, how, how the mighty have fallen and all that. Look, if you you, know, you gave me the time, we could walk through their incredible run under Joe Torre, 96 to 2000, we could point out 10 different plays that happened that worked to their advantage, You know, where if it hadn't, uh, it wouldn't have been a dynasty. And similarly, we can go through these last 12 years, the years they have made the playoffs, and point out players that haven't gone their way, uh, that, that leave them in, in the spot they are now, which is why for the most part postseason, you, you don't want to place all of your evaluative, just on what happened in the postseason, the regular season is still most important from a, an evaluative
1: uh, perspective. If I said that the Chicago White Sox were one of the best kept secrets in baseball, they got to play Houston now in the series. Would you agree with that?
0: I guess yeah, yeah I mean they had a really uh, good season. I think what, what you know mitigates the White Sox uh, it, you know and maybe what keeps them a secret as you say is you know their division was terrible. Uh, you know the, the one team that was supposed to be up there with them, the Minnesota yeah. Twins, still on their face. Uh, the Indians were rebuilding after trading Windor, and then the other two teams were, were rebuilding. So I think that's the reason uh, doubts exist over the White Sox of viability here. But for sure, when you look at their roster, they've got a, a lot of talent there.
1: Dodgers went in a walk-off fashion last night. So now they play the Giants, who had a tremendous season. And look, this is a rival that goes back to when I was a kid living, growing up in Brooklyn. I don't know that it's as strong as it was back then, but it is still a rivalry. You would seem that the Giants have a bit of an edge. Yes or no?
0: Yes, I would agree. I think the Dodgers, they're not playing their best ball right now. I think they're hurting. Yeah, I watched that game last night. It's a rookie game. And they, they obviously uh, held on on the walk-off homer by Chris Taylor. But uh, yeah, they have uh, Muncie is out. Kershaw is out. I... I'm sure it's my personal biases, but I think I still think there's a karmic price to pay for signing Trevor Bauer when everyone knew what a
1: terrible person he was. <laughs> uh, so I do, I do, uh, do pick the Giants for them. And then the other series got Milwaukee and Atlanta. I don't, I don't think people even realize Milwaukee. I think had like the fourth best record in baseball, uh, and they they play Atlanta. Atlanta's an incredible phenomenon to me. Ken, from this standpoint, you lose their best player in July and Ronald Acuna Jr. And they still won the division, uh, albeit uh, probably the last 10 days was more the, of the reason, the way they played. But this Braves team is, uh, I don't know if they'll beat Milwaukee, but I'm amazed that they're there.
0: Yeah, it was an amazing story. And, you know, we have to, again, temper it, just much like the White Sox of the American Central. The National geese turned out pretty awful, surprisingly so. Uh, so you have to keep that in mind. But to the Braves' credit, as you said, they lost to Cunha. That was a Saturday before the All-Star break. And rather than you know start getting ready to sell, they were, I think there were five games under 500 at that point, they decided to go for it, and they, they just made the decision. The first guy they got was John Peterson from the Cubs, the outfielder. They wound up getting three more outfielders and a
1: reliever prior to the trade deadline, and they just motored past everybody. They were my preseason pick to win at all, so I have to stick to that. Yeah, well, they had, I think, three players hit 30 or more home runs, uh, and, and Swanson, their shortstop, I think hit 27 or so. So, I mean, they've got, they got a lot of offensive weapons. Uh, having said all of that, when the smoke clears, if you were a betting man, would you be betting on who to find up, wind up in the world series?
0: Well, I mentioned, I picked the Braves before the season. Uh, I picked the Braves over the White Sox. So I, I got my two picks this far. So <laughs> granted, neither one of those is even remotely the favorite, but you know, what we'll kind of Father, husband, son would I be if I didn't stick to those picks? I have to go all the way with them,
1: right? Yeah, I, I could see that. Let me deal across uh, the river from Yankee Stadium to where City Field is and the Mets. And they already fired their manager. They made, apparently made a run at Theo Epstein to run the baseball operation. That has not worked out. Uh, where, do, where do you? Th- I mean, what, what are the, the names that we're looking at first for the person to run the organization? I was
0: Dean's job to lose, I think. I think that Billy Bean wants it, it's his. I and mean, Billy Dean, as we know, has been with the Oakland A's for a very long time, about 30 years. Uh, so he just needs to decide whether he wants to uproot. And, and he's established a, a pretty strong brand out there, thanks to Moneyball and all the success that A's have had. And it's a matter of, does he want to move from California to New York, move his family, and quite frankly, work a little harder at the baseball uh, that he has uh, the past few years when he really you know he was able to do speeches and be involved with soccer because he had put really good people in place to
1: run the as. So uh, that's that's really what it's all about right now. And the managerial job, who are they looking at?
0: Well, they're not looking at anybody right now because you know they're going to let whoever runs baseball operations pick it. I, I think the real one of the most compelling, uh, parts of Billy Bean's candidacy is would he bring Bob Melvin with him, you know, from the A's to the Mets. Bob Melvin is usually one of the top five managers in all of baseball, and I think that would be a real coup for the Mets to get
1: uh, him as well as Billy Bean. We talked about the Yankees and the moves they may want to make. What's necessary for the Mets? That's a really good question. Yeah, they, uh, it, it seemed like they had a good core of position players in place
0: prior to this season. And quite a few of those guys crater, uh, and that includes Michael Conforto, who is a free agent, and Don Smith and Jeff McNeil, who are not free agents. So they need to make decisions on those guys. You know, I think if you're really talking about who's who are pillars moving forward, uh, Jacob Degrom is signed for for next year. That has an opt out, which at this point I can't see him using just because it's uncertain health. Um, and then Brandon Nimmo has, I think, it's just one more year before. He becomes a, a free agent. James McCann is, is signed for a while, but yes, a lot of a lot of questions about what to do with that nucleus. And obviously, Lind, Lindor is is a
1: is a pillar, for, obviously. Alonso said that uh, he doesn't want a DH. Uh, now you can take that for what it's worth. He can voice his opinion whether or not that's reality. I don't know. Uh, he had 37 home runs, had almost 100 RBI. I uh, I I don't know if you would say that he's qualified to be a defensive first baseman or do they honor his wishes. Well, first of all, I, 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 I'm an idiot for not mentioning Alonzo as one of the pillars. Uh, obviously, he is. Uh the first thing that has to happen is, is that
0: DHS has to be formally added to the National League. That hasn't happened yet. Yes. I think it's likely would happen, but has not happened yet. Uh, yeah, I think it depends on who else they have. If I keep Dom Smith, then I think Dom should be playing first base every day, and, and Pete should be dh and, and I understand him not Loving it. a lot of guys don't love DHing. It's It's difficult in its own way uh, because you have to kind of figure out what to do when you're not hitting. Um, but I, I don't think anyone dispute that Donald Smith is a superior first baseman to Pete Alonzo. Uh, so we will see if they hold on to Smith or trade him or get somebody else. And, and obviously, whether the DH does indeed become part of the National League.
1: Taking a bite of the Big Apple with Ken David off of the New York Post. I'm, I'm sorry I didn't even think of this. Going back to Stanton, Uh, are you comfortable with him as an outfielder or as a DH? Uh, I don't know if I use the words comfortable one way or the other. That implies I care. Uh, But (laughs) I
0: thought that was an English major. Uh, But uh, I do think he proved these last couple of months that he can handle playing the outfield uh, at least part-time. He doesn't embarrass himself out there. Obviously, he's not the most athletic guy, but he, he he gets the ball he's supposed to get. And... And he certainly seems to enjoy it. And and he himself has said uh, it was part of the reason uh, for his resurgence.
1: Are we ever going to get to a point, Ken, where we have either DH in both leagues or no DH in both leagues? I think we're very, we're approaching that point very closely. I would be surprised if there is not a DH in both leagues in 2022. The Major League Baseball has has taken its share of shots. Uh, I mean, I'll go back as far when Bud Selig was commissioner and, and I, uh, was out in Milwaukee doing the Milwaukee Bucks games and made a statement on a talk show before a basketball game one night that I thought that baseball need to take a complete overhaul of what they're doing. I don't, at that time we're talking about the winner of the all-star game, got home field advantage in the world series. And I thought that was idiotic and Selig heard me and he heard me (laughs) and called in and wanted to get into a debate. And I said, you know, you're the commissioner of baseball, Mr. Seelig. He says, call me Bud. I said, okay, Bud, you're the commissioner. I don't expect you to agree, but you tell me why an exhibition game has got that much impact. And so he he went off on me. And, and so now the owner of the Milwaukee Bucks was former U.S. Senator Herb Cole, who mm-hmm. grew up with Bud Seelig. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Next morning, Cole calls me at home, said, I got a call from Bud Seelig. I said, I'm sure you did. He said, Would you sit down and have lunch with the two of us and let's talk this out? I said, Fine. So we did. That afternoon, one of the great hotels in America, the Fister Hotel in Milwaukee's got, sure, sure. got a great they got great omelets. So so we're sitting down, our food comes, and he start, he didn't even wait. I mean, he went after me with both feet and <laughs> and and stated his case, and I heard it, and I said, With all due respect, I haven't changed my position. It's an exhibition game. How can it impact home field advantage in the World Series? Jackie Robinson's rolling over in his grave, bud <laughs> <laughs> and he went nuts, and you know what at the end of the meal, we shook hands we we said we can agree to disagree, and I said that's fine, but is baseball in a good place right now in your opinion?
0: Oh gosh, you know we could spend a whole day discussing that subject uh, I, I think uh, look I think there are uh, on the negative side, I really think they need to figure out ways to shorten the game. I think the key to that is really adding a, a pitch clock. Uh, for sure, uh, there is a lack of stars out of the A. Rod, Jeter uh, camp, where you know, it's transcendent stars. I really think baseball has struggled to establish those kind of players. Um, and yeah, the labor discord is a huge concern. I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens this winter, but there's certainly a a decent chance of a work stoppage where season doesn't start on time next year. Uh, so those are all huge, huge concerns on the positive side. Baseball, I think it's a little, uh, unfairly from an intellectual standpoint, maligned. I don't think people appreciate just how much money baseball brings in just because it's an everyday product, you know, football, football is amazing. Football is, you know, star. Uh, but, uh, when you talk about attendance in baseball versus football, uh, and just all the money those tickets sales bring in, I mean, baseball does fine, you know, and, and TV deals, and baseball is still an important part of the landscape. And, uh, you know, when you get something like the Field of Dreams game that really does hit that transcendent point, you realize, like, okay, baseball isn't necessarily as dying as, as some folks uh, believe it to be.
1: You're right on the money with the pitch, with the, the uh, putting a clock on pitchers. Aroldis uh, Chapman comes in in relief. I can take a nap between his pitches. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness. I mean, it, it does. And, and, the, and before I let you go, and I talked about this with, with Murphy again, uh, the strike zone. And you see home plate umpires, and it's not the strike zone that misses by an inch or two. It's when it misses by five or six inches that I've got an issue with. Yeah, I think Robo-UMPs are coming. I think they're very close to coming. You
0: know, they're being used in uh, the Atlantic League, which is an independent league here in the New York area. They will be using the Arizona Fall League this fall. I, I think within five years, we will see uh, the Robo-UMPs. And I, I think uh, I think people will be very pleased with
1: that. Well, let's, let, let's talk further down the road when the Yankees do make some moves, if they make any big moves. Appreciate your time, Ken. Thanks a million. And uh, and uh, and th- thanks for the, but I still disagree. I th- still think A. Rod cheated the game. But we can argue about that later. He didn't cheat the game.
0: Okay, no, no. I was an English major. You, yeah. you, you can choose different language, but
1: it did yeah. not cheat the game. Uh, no, I, I respect your. I respect your opinion. <laughs> I do. I respect your opinion. You're a great writer and a great knowledgeable guy about the game. And maybe it's just that I got a problem with A. Rod. Anyway, that doesn't matter, right? Thanks uh, again for your time, and do stay safe. Ken Davidoff of the New York Post. Good guy. I mean, obviously knows the stuff. There's, there's no debating that. And we're going to talk uh, further about biting out of the Big Apple with a guy that knows well, it's not just baseball. He knows it all. Knows it all. He is Mike Vaccaro, uh, columnist for the New York Post, the, the the columnist, my main man. We'll talk to him further about a variety of issues, not only the Yankees, but let's see where we are. Hey, Aaron. Oh, Mike, how are you today? Good, thanks. How are you? I can't complain. I can't complain. Um, I'm having a better day, I think, today than Aaron Boone is, or Garrett Cole, or any of the guys on the Yankees. I
3: would
1: think that's pretty accurate. <laughs> yeah. Were you, were you su- surprised at the outcome?
3: Um, I, I. You know, I pick the Yankees to win the game, so I'm going to have to say yes, but, uh, you know, when you look back at it now with perspective 2020, it's, uh, it's easy to say the Red Sox, probably were we're in a better position than we thought to win the game because it was whole, all the mixing crowds of Fenway kind of, kind of came into play.
1: I looked at um, the game before it started and I said to my wife, I don't feel comfortable. She said, about what? I said, I just don't think the Yankees are going to win today because I think Cole, with the exception of his last outing, I, I think his previous four or five outings against the Red Sox have not gone well, particularly when it came to the long, long ball and it reared its ugly head Tuesday.
3: Sure did. Sure did, yeah. That was uh, that was very pressure on your part, especially because uh, Cole, you know, he really didn't pitch very well the last month of the season.
1: Uh, you said in your column, was it today or yesterday? I forget. Good news for Garrett Cole. What is it?
3: Well, I mean, look, I mean, He's not the first guy to to kind of spit the bit, as uh, a former Yankee owner named George Steinbrenner used to like to say. Uh, and he did spit the bit on on, uh, on Tuesday, no doubt about that. You know, really, I mean, you know, I, I know they played the playoffs last year, but really, his first main stage performance for the Yankees, and it came up flat. But uh, you know, Barry Rivera is, is his first uh, postseason as a uh, as a closer. Uh, you know, he was he was four inch away from. Putting them in the ALCS, and Sandy Alomar Jr. hit a home run off him, and all he did over the next three years was compile an ERA of 0.00. So, you know, there are there there are examples of of, of taking a, an early setback and, and kind of using it as fuel. And I think that Cole's makeup is sucks, and I do think that uh, you know I think I I, I think he'll be better you know be better because of this in the future, and because he puts it for the Yankees, you got to figure he's going to get his chances. Redemption,
1: probably starting next year. Red Sox officially the Yankees' daddy. I like that. Um, <laughs> uh, look, the Sox have won eight of the last nine playoff games against the Yankees. That, that speaks volumes. Uh, but I think the Yankees' issue is more than just the Red Sox. I see growth from the Red Sox. I mean, they traded away Mookie Betts. I thought, why would they do that? Well, I don't question it now. Uh, I mean, you look at, the, 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 at Tampa Bay. You look at Toronto. Uh, with the exception of Baltimore, oh, by the way, the Yankees only had a winning record this year against Baltimore of the other teams in the division. Right now, you have to say they're they're best,
3: the third best team in their own division, and and the Blue Jays are charging fast. Blue Jays had kind of a a month long spasm this year where they just they couldn't even close games out. Their bullpen imploded. I mean, even even if you cut that. Uh, you know, cold sleep they had in half. They probably wind up finishing ahead of the Yankees this year too, and they have all that young talent. And you got to figure, you know, where we sit now. They're in better position than the Yankees for next year. Um, now who knows what the Yankees going to look like next year? So you know, you kind of got to, you know, hold off on, on kind of writing them off. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's hard. I mean, it's not just the the American League is is stacked. The A O East is stacked. And look, the Rays aren't going anywhere. I mean, they're the youngest team in, you know, on the planet, and you know, whenever they decide to get rid of a guy, they replace him with a guy who's better. It's an amazing system they have there, an amazing culture they have there. And the Red Sox, look, I mean, it's, it's really amazing. I mean, forget the fact they've won the four World Championships since 2004. I mean, really, since the Yankees won their last championship in 2009, I mean, the Red Sox have bottomed down three different times finished last place three different times and all three times they've come back twice they won championships afterward and we you know they're still playing this year when Yankees are going home so they certainly have something built even though they really tried to alienate their fan base like you said they, they traded Mookie Betts last year and people thought the Red Sox kind of started to kind of close up shop and really all they did was just kind of change direction uh, I mean if I'm a Red Sox fan I think I still want Mookie Betts on my team but I get very wistful whenever I watch it playing for the Dodgers but it's hard to argue
1: Uh, You look at um, the irony Tuesday. Here's Aaron Boone, the manager of the Yankees, who had a hand in winning uh, a a playoff game. And then uh, Bucky Dent was in the building. And who can forget the 78 playoff game with the Red Sox at Fenway. Uh, I was in uh, Bucky's company at a golf tournament uh, about maybe eight or nine years ago down in South Florida. And we were standing at the bar after the the round was over and, and I said, is it true that the Red Sox fans call you Bucky blankety-blank Dent? He goes, oh, yeah. I said, how do you feel about that? He goes, I don't don't care. It doesn't bother me. Matter of fact, I get a chuckle out of it. (laughs) So, I mean, look. (laughs) Anything to be remembered by, right? (laughs) Yeah, sure. You know, sure. I mean, I don't know that Bucky Dent is the most hated Yankee in Red Sox lore um, any more than I think Reggie Miller is the most hated Nick opponent now that (laughs) <laughs> now that the young kid in Atlanta uh, decided to steal his thunder last year.
3: Well, I think the feelings have probably dissipated a little bit among Red Sox fans since 2004. Up until 2004, you know, he was part of the roster of guys who had who had tortured them for years. I mean, going all the way back to Babe Ruth, and you know, after him, uh, Aaron Boone, and um, you know, starting 2004, the Red Sox in that drought and. Have now won four championships, and I think now a lot of Red Sox fans can can look back at '78 and kind of chuckle because it's just one, you know, one more strike they had to earn before before uh, you know uh, seeing their team become a, a championship team again, you know, all those years later. But uh, yeah, I don't think he's nearly as hated now so much as he's just kind of look. At me, I mean, twenty years ago, I don't think he would have been able to comfortably sit in the stands there at Fenway Park for a do-or-die game, but that
1: way. Yeah, well, uh, Trey Young is the guy I was thinking of from the Atlanta Hawks, uh, sure. who had a big hand in, in the Hawks beating the Knicks in five games last year in the playoffs. So one local manager is gone. Rojas has been fired. Do you think Aaron Boone goes in the same direction, or do they decide to keep him?
3: My that tells me they're going to keep him. Uh, I, I just don't, think, you know, I could, because I think that if they if they let go of Boone, it kind of is an indication that. Uh, that cashman's hold on the team is is changing and i, and I don't think that's going to happen and i don't think cashman wants to fire moon or you know not renew his contract i think i think he wants to see Boone succeed here and i think he thinks that Boone has done a good job and you know it's 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 funny you talk to yankees fans and aaron Boone is the worst manager in creation but he was a guy who won 203 games his first two years i mean you know he's been in the playoffs all four years as a manager um you know you don't just you don't just have that kind of success by by, 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 by picking a winning line or taking it out of a hat, I think he's a pretty good manager. I mean, like I'm mean, I think he's. Uh, there are a lot of Yankee fans who would love to find the modern version of Billy Martin, because I love to see guys who yell and kind of spark guys. But you know, those guys tend to you know tend to wind up about three weeks on a team in professional sports, and they wind up unemployed because that's just not the way that handle you know, professional athletes in 2021 anymore. So um, you know, good luck like trying to find a new age Billy Martin or a new age Earl Weaver. What you need is someone like that, like Aaron Boone, and I think Aaron Boone is probably the best version of Aaron Boone the Yankees are going to find. And so I think that, I think that, uh, I think that uh, Brian Cashman knows that, and I think he's got enough of Hal a here still
1: that I think that uh, his wishes will will carry the day. Yeah, so you do think Cashman stays, and and in and in turn, Aaron Boone keeps his job. What about the Mets? Uh, apparently, they made a run at Theo Epstein and did not bear fruit yeah I,
3: I i don't think anybody thought that was ever going to really be a, a a real uh possibility i mean you know Theo's made it pretty clear that he wants to to be on the ground floor with a with a pretty sizable ownership stake next time he gets back into involved with the team and that just wasn't going to happen with the mets uh but they had to make the call i mean like he's a guy they need to, to talk to and you know they did their due diligence they you know they asked and he said no thank you and you know, now they can move on. And I think you know the two the two candidates that make the most sense are obviously Billy Bean and, and David Stearns. And I think that uh, it, would really, it would really surprise me if Billy if Billy Bean is not introduced in a press conference around here sometime in the next month. It seems like he makes the most sense uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, you could also bring his manager. You would think with him, who I think also makes a lot of sense for the Mets. Uh, so I mean, that, you know, from where I sit, that's what I think is going to happen. Uh, but you know, these, these things have a way of of uh, finding their own destiny.
1: Taking a bite of the Big Apple with Mike Vaccaro of the New York Post. Let me shift gears to the NFL where both teams won on Sunday, both in overtime uh, in different ways. Uh, starting with the Jets, uh, they get a performance uh, from Zach Wilson, uh, particularly in the second half. That was what they bargained for when they drafted him second overall. But more than that, the Jets' defense was stifling. I mean, they sacked Tannehill seven times, hurried him another 12 times, and I thought this was a rebirth of the sack exchange. Yeah.
3: It was It was really kind of, kind of shocking to watch, to be honest with you, and I realized that Tennessee was a compromised team. But look, I mean, the Jets are a compromised team too, so I mean, you can't— you know, no game they ever win at this point in their history is going to come with an asterisk. And yeah, you had to feel good for two things. One, I mean, obviously a defensive coach at Robert Sala. And that defense really, you know, you know looked like a, a legitimate on-the-cuff defense, which, you know, I think you have to, you know, it'll be, it'll be nice to see what they do this week in London if they can follow it up with another performance against the you know, Falcons, who, you know, also should be a, a team that just be you know, competitive with. But the thing that really makes you excited is when you see Zach Wilson play the way he played. I mean, he's the guy, that so much of the Jets' future is tied up in, and to see him play as he played last Sunday, and to see what he did, to see what, uh, to, see, to see the poise he played with, to see some of the throws he made. I mean, look, I mean, he wasn't perfect. He threw an interception. You know, I guess the receiver fell down, but still, it wasn't a perfect game. But it was certainly his best game as a pro. And it certainly gave you an idea that maybe this is going to be something that you can really kind of wrap your hands around.
1: Well, it, I think a play that epitomizes what you're talking about is when he rolls out to the right and starts telling the receiver to go, waving his hand downfield, yep. and then hits him for a long touchdown, Davis. Uh, and that, that told me an awful lot about who this kid is. He's he's not afraid to, t- to make the big play. Now, not afraid to make the big play has cost him getting sacked all the first three games of the year. To where, and his offensive line is as is, is much of a problem as anything else. But the Giants, it's a little different. Uh, I talked to Carl Banks, their radio analyst, beginning of the season, and I asked him if this is a make-or-break year for Daniel Jones, and he said absolutely not. Jones has not been the problem, and, and Sunday he throws for 400 yards, 54 of those coming on a touchdown play to Saquon Barkley. But I, I have no problem with Daniel Jones. I think he, I think he can get the job done. I think he really needed to prove that he was
3: the guy that, uh, that the Giants trust in going forward. And I think so far, after four games, if there's one thing you can say about the Giants is that they feel as good about Daniel Jones now as they've ever felt. And they should. You know, he's, he's been terrific. And, uh, you know, by rights, they should probably be 3-1. and one. I mean, they're two plays away from being 3-1. and one. Uh, Daniel Jones, they'll put them in that position. Uh, there are a lot of other issues on the team that are problematic, and I think that's going to... Become become an issue in the coming weeks when they play up, get you know, better offenses because that defense is vulnerable. Uh, but Daniel Jones is going to keep him in he's going to keep him in a lot of this game because he really is playing with a lot of confidence. He's playing with a lot of swagger, and he's you know l- learning how to utilize and maximize his weapons. And
1: uh, you know that, 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 that was really a I think a seminal performance by him on Sunday. I think the Jets when looking at it, lad, up they're playing him in London on Sunday, which gives me something to do at nine thirty in the morning. Uh, exactly yeah so uh i think it's a winnable game uh the giants and i don't usually look at schedules down the road but the giants schedule it looks like uh you know marching through Batan. i mean they got they got the cowboys on sunday then the rams panthers chiefs raiders buccaneers i mean that's that's a hellacious schedule over the next six weeks
3: yeah, it's brutal, you know. And, and look, I, I, you know, I thought that that the Saints were definitely a part of that uh, that gauntlet you talk about, and they were able to actually, you know, pick off the, the Saints. Although, you know, the Saints kind of, I think, helped the cause. I mean, by rights, the, the, the Saints probably should have put the Giants away in the fourth quarter. and never did. You know, good for the Giants. But uh, but yeah, the schedule gets no easier. And look, I mean, if they can pick off one of these games, another one of these games that we kind of assume they're going to lose, you know, maybe they get to change their season around because right around. You know, they have a fairly manageable last month of the season. If they could, you know, just get to the December with their season still intact. But, uh, you know, you just ticked off the, you know, the teams they have to play. It's going to be a real challenge.
1: Which team do you think is headed in the right direction? Both? Neither?
3: I think they're both headed in the right direction. I mean, incrementally. I mean, look, I mean, I don't think either team is making the playoffs. I think... Uh, I think the Jets, are, you know, just just started some far behind the rest of the pack, but uh, but uh, you, know, you you you, know, you have to say that the it's a net positive so far with the quarterback, although you're still not sold on him, and with the Giants they're definitely in the right direction if nothing else because I think you're definitely sold on Daniel Jones. But I think that's the important thing, and look every week Saquon Barkley you know shows you a little more sign and maybe he's back. The last the week was definitely you know his best game post surgery. Uh, so those things kind of make you feel better about where the Giants are headed too. It's just that uh, I, I, I just think they they they, they, have, they have an opportunity to get swallowed up by just a, a brutal schedule.
1: Post columnist Mike Vaccaro, as we take a bite of the Big Apple, uh, the two uh, t- two cities in uh, basketball franchises. Let me start with the Nets first, picked by many to not only come out of the East but to win the championship. However, is the one asterisk, and that's Kyrie Irving. This latest issue, this is nothing new. Kyrie Irving was a headache in Cleveland. Kyrie Irving was a headache in Boston to the point of where my old broadcast partner, Cedric Maxwell, said they wanted to throw a party when he left. Uh, Now here it is, the whole thing with his vaccination. He doesn't want to take it. Uh, If he doesn't take it, I mean, first of all, it's going to cost him a lot of money. Second of all, the team's going to suffer. And that leads to the obvious question, what do they do with him? Do they trade him? And what can they get for a guy that this that is this much of a problem?
3: Well, right now, they seem to be behind them, um, But right now, all of his issues are in the abstract. Um, you know, if, if, if in fact he winds up having to sit out more than half the season, which is the way he's looking now, if he decides to, to maintain his position, and if the protocols all stay in place, I mean, he's going to miss 46, 47 games. Especially now that L.A. has now kind of become a problem for him. Um, it's going to be interesting with the, with the Nets, do. I mean, look, his teammates say they're still behind them. Uh, I, I believe that, I think, because they're his friends. I'm not so sure the front office is going to necessarily stay there uh, and remain as patient as they are. Uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a very unique situation, and uh, it'll be really interesting to see what, uh, what Sean Marks and everybody else there is able to do in terms of figuring out, you know, their Kyrie problem, and it is a problem. It's definitely an issue. And uh, it's something that you have to, you know, you have to keep an eye on because that's such an important part of,
1: of, who the Nets are right now. Keith Pompey of the Philadelphia Inquirer told me that there's talk in Philadelphia that the Sixers are thinking about trying to trade Ben Simmons for Kyrie. Uh, it, look, Kyrie is a superstar. Uh, ben Simmons is a very good player, but he comes with baggage. Uh, I, I think that the Philadelphia fans have made it clear they don't want him back. But a franchise doesn't get run by the fans; it gets run by the decisions made in the front office. However, having said that, Joel Embiid, their star, about four days ago stood up at the podium. He didn't exactly back Ben Simmons, which lends me to believe that, uh, you know, Simmons. I don't know what you can get for Ben Simmons because, as I mentioned, he comes with baggage.
3: He does. He's also a fantastic player. I mean, you know, he's had his issues, but, I mean, you look at him and you watch him and you understand that, uh, you know, he's not that far away from being a pretty special player. Now, if you're the Nets, I mean, I think that's I, I think he's a step back from from where Kyrie brings you, and I don't think that that necessarily helps them. Uh, obviously, I mean, if Kyrie goes, we we go to the Sixers in that in, in that kind of an arrangement, it would allow him to play more, so it makes him more valuable and allows him to do what, you know, to to, to take his position and still play. Um, so from that standpoint, maybe it makes sense for both teams. But uh, man, it's an, it's it's interesting. And look, the Sixers are, you know, they, it, it makes you wonder. You know, just just how pretty the Buc- the Bucks might be sitting because, the, you know, there are two chief rivals coming out of the East. And they're the defending champs, but the Sixers are in
1: disarray, and the, and the Nets are in potential disarray, so that could be great news for the defending champs. Well, you got, you've got you got an East now that has become deeper and stronger. Miami has gotten better with the addition of Kyle Lowry. Uh, Boston has gotten better with the addition of Dennis Schroeder, providing uh, that he becomes the Dennis Schroeder that played in Atlanta. Uh, but, you know, they have a lot of talent there. Um, Toronto's going to be better. The Chicago Bulls are going to be better. The Atlanta Hawks are going to be better. Now, people think, and I and I talked to a couple of general managers yesterday, they think the Knicks are going to be better, but it may not translate to a better standing in the East where they finished fourth last year. Most people feel like they're going to drop because of the strength of the East. Look, what did the Knicks have? They have Kimball Walker. Good news, bad news. Good news is good player, terrific guy, local product. Bad news is he's missed 55 games in the last two years. Yeah,
2: look, I mean, I, I agree with that assessment. The Knicks are going to be better. I mean, every
3: 48 just gives them a different element than they had last year. And I think R.J. Barrett's another year better. And uh, I expect Julius Randall to take another step forward. So, I mean, I do think they could be better, a better team than they were last year. And probably by a lot. But that doesn't necessarily translate. I mean, like a lot of a lot of things had to happen for the Knicks to finish in fourth place last year, um, a lot, and a lot of those things happened to other teams: the Heat, the, the Celtics, the Raptors. Um, and, and they just maximize every ounce. They, they 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 really weren't bitten by the injury bug much. They they're they kind of able to maximize every bit of their schedule, and they, they really took to Tom Thibodeau in his first year. Um, it's hard to see them duplicating that and getting the same kind of assistance they got last year across the league. But I do think they're going to be a better team. I mean, now, does that mean they're going to finish in seventh place or are they going to be one of the play-in teams? That could definitely be the case because of all the reasons you said. But I still think it's going to be a fun team to watch, and I think they're going to be a better team than they were last year. And that's going to translate on in, in a certain level because, you know, you know, I think they'll be competitive. with better they really play with. That was the thing about the Knicks last year, you know, from – from everybody below them in the east and, and, and pretty much everybody equal with them in the west they were competitive they are they weren't terribly competitive against the i know they beat the bucks once but they were missing Giannis. they didn't look very good against the nets last year they, they, they didn't look great against the sixers last year losing a couple of close games uh so i think that might be different uh, i think they can be competitive with everybody they play this year and i think that's going to be the big
1: difference yeah and the the addition of evan Fournier, i think is a very good one they signed up to a four-year deal the guy can shoot uh, I think he's going to move into the starting lineup.
3: Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's he's going to be basically a you know a better version of Reg, what Reggie Bullock was for them last year, and uh, and look, I think Kemp is going to be a better version of what uh, of what Alfred Payton was was for them last year, and I think it allows Derrick Rose to go back on the bench where I think you know he's he was he, he was he was probably the team's second most valuable player last year as a bench player because I mean you can come in and look. I mean he's a he's got a little wear on the tires. and you know what they would do when he was coming off the benches you know he'd come in around the eight minute mark of the first quarter then he'd play about 12 or 13 or 14 solid minutes in a row you know go back to the bench until halftime and come back and you know they do like one shift in the second half too you know the up and downs really I think bothered him in the playoffs last year I mean they, you know, he became the starter of the playoffs played pre, you know played okay but I mean I think you could tell he's just not a guy right now at this point of his career who's he was inclined to be able to get up and down four different times which is what you do for a starter and so i think it's going to be great for for, for him i think it's going to be beneficial for for kemba and like i mean which what you hope now is that between Kemba and derrick rose you know that, that, that the two of them can play 70 games each and if that happens then i think the
1: Knicks will be okay uh, they got another young kid emmanuel quickly uh who shows a lot of promise uh, I, I don't know what how much playing time he's going to get between the other two but at least it gives him an insurance policy should Kemba miss a few games?
3: <laughs> yes, and I think. Look, I mean, he 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 managed to find his way last year. You know, even though you know Thibodeau was committed to uh, to uh, to Payton and committed to to, to to Rose once he came, he still he still had a you know had, had a role. He'll have that similar role this year. You know, it's, you you're always you know kind of have your antenna up to see if a guy has a, a sophomore slump. And uh, a guy, if his skill set is the kind of guy you really think might be. Uh, vulnerable to that, but uh, look, look—he's a very confident kid. And, you know, he—he—I—I I, I think he, he works so hard that
1: I think he's going to avoid that, and he'll find the—he'll—he'll he'll find a role in this team. Hey, Mike, let me take a trip three thousand miles away because I think the biggest question mark of this NBA season is going to be the Los Angeles Lakers. They made a lot of moves, and people have been critical of the age of the roster. Um, I look at this roster with the addition of a thirty-seven-year-old Carmelo Anthony. And a 35-year-old Dwight Howard and a 36-year-old Trevor Ariza, who, by the way, went down yesterday. He's going to be out for a couple of months. But they've got a lot of aging veterans on the team, and of course, LeBron and Anthony Davis. Uh, I look at Anthony and Howard and Russell Westbrook uh, as guys that have never won a title that see this as their chance to get their first championship.
3: Yeah, for sure. And look, I mean, why not? I mean, you know, it's a uh... You know, I, I think the Westerns is, is, is wide open this year. I mean, we saw what happened last year, of course. That was partly because of all the injuries. But, look, I mean, the, I think the Clippers, who otherwise would probably be the odds-on favorite, are not going to be because of Kawhi's situation. And, uh, you know, the Lakers are, are the Lakers. I mean, and, and LeBron is LeBron. And, you know, if they can figure it out over the course of the first 40 games of the year, you know, look out the last 40 games. And then once you get to the playoffs, you know, my money's always going to be on LeBron until I'm proven wrong. So it's... Uh, I think that's going to be an interesting thing to watch. Uh, And yeah, I mean, they they have the possibility for a lot of volatility and a
2: possibility for some special stuff
1: to to watch. I don't think the Lakers care if they finish first, second, or third in the West. Uh, You know, I don't think it matters to them terribly. But uh, let me get um, an opinion uh, not an opinion, but a feeling. If the Lakers wind up playing the Nets in the final, I think that might break some television ratings records.
3: Yeah, except that it would be very interesting because Kyrie could play at all then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I mean that could that could make it very uh, that that would be a talking point. If Kyrie's on the team. I mean, at, at the protocols are in place, you won't be able to play in New York, and you won't be able to play in L.A. So that would be uh, kind of a kind of a bummer for the Nets. So, but uh, yes, I mean, look, I mean, just the the, the, the Durant against uh, LeBron element of it. I think if you're a basketball
1: fan, that's going to be something that's going to be irresistible. Hey, Mike, I'll be honest with you. I just can't see any way. Look, I, I don't know how you figure it out if you're the Nets, but I don't know how in the world you can keep this uh, Irving on your team, knowing you're not going to have him for a sub- sub- substantial portion of games. And, and look, is Trey the answer? I don't know. I don't know what team, number one, what team's going to want him? Number two, because he does bring a lot of baggage.
3: He also brings a lot of talent, brings yep. a lot of track record. I mean, he's the, he's, he's, he's the quintessential guy. I mean, he brings a lot of baggage, but he sure, when he's on, there's no when he's on, there's no more enjoyable player to watch because he's just incredible. He's an incredible talent, and I think that's, you know, what's carried him through a lot of his other his other issues and will continue to because he's still as good a player as he's ever been.
1: I got into, um, and before I let you go, I got into a debate with your co-worker Ken Davidoff. Uh, I said that Alex Rodriguez cheated the game because uh, he did first of all, he didn't need to use steroids. He was a great player before, but he did and so here's a guy that got suspended for sixty games and now he's on ESPN on Sunday night and personally, I don't think that's that I don't think that's right considering what he has done. Ken says he didn't cheat the game, but it's not like he stole signs. Yeah, he broke some rules. Uh, where are you on this? Um, uh, I'm asking you your opinion, me versus Ken. We we gave each of our opinions, and I'd like to hear what yours is.
3: I mean, I don't think that uh, he should be barred from uh, Sunday Night Baseball because of his past. I think he should be off the air because he's terrible at <laughs> it. I can't. I, I can't. I, I can't listen to him. I mean, you know, and, and I think there's a lot of people that I know who, who opted for. Uh, for radio broadcast of Tuesday's game, knowing that he was going to be the only television option. I mean, I just, I just, I, I just don't think he's any good at it. I mean, I can't emphasize that enough. I mean, yeah, but I, I think, I I think I would express my opinion of, of Alex as a player is disappointing because I'm with you. I don't think he needed to get the extra help he got from performance-enhancing drugs, and I think it's going to affect his legacy. Uh, but that's a whole different conversation. I mean, you know, for, as far as Sunday night is concerned. I mean, I, I don't think that precluded them from hiring him. He, he, if he was any, if he was good, I'd be all in favor of, uh, of of listening to him. I just don't think he's any good. In fact, I think he's gotten worse. I think some of his observations are ludicrous, and it's just it, it's it's a burden to listen to. So I'd rather not have him be on Sunday
1: Night Baseball. But he's it, got nothing to do with whatever he might have put into his system as a player. Okay, uh, I, I can buy that. So you know, as, as long as the current. Hierarchy is in Major League Baseball. A Rod doesn't get into the Hall of Fame. Roger Clemens, uh, Matt McGuire, I mean the list goes on. But let's put those guys aside. Has Pete Rose suffered enough, and is it about time that uh, that Major League Baseball brings him back into the fold, or, or you don't care? Well, look, I mean, I've been a guy who said all
3: along that uh, that he, you know he should have been he should have been allowed to be on the ballot and let the people who generally decide these things, you know, decide them. I mean, I, I think that the writers, for better or worse, um, have probably dovetailed with what the Hall of Fame and what baseball wanted in terms of the steroid guys because, you know, none of them have gotten in. Uh, and I don't think any of them are going to get in. I mean, I vote for Clemens and Bonds. We're going to have a whole different conversation about this, you know, when the Hall of Fame vote comes out because I'll vote for them one more time in January, in January, December when I get my ballot, but... Um, that you know, the, the majority is carried, that those guys haven't gotten in. I think probably the same thing would have happened for Pete Rose if you would have put him on the ballot and at least allowed his name to come up. I, you know, again, I would have, I, you know, I would have voted all these years for Pete Rose uh, because, but, because I think that, you know, with the caveat that, you know, when he gets in, I think that on his plaque uh, you should go why he wasn't in for you know 30 years prior. And I think that would be an important element to the history part of the Baseball Hall of Fame. If on, you know, Pete Rose's plaque, it says was are suspended from baseball for for 30 years because he's been on the game. I think that's important for future generations to see, but I also think that it's like, I think, I, I think you have to be in the same way. We have to use our logic and our reason to determine how we feel personally as voters about the steroid guys. Same thing with Pete Rose. And I think that, no, there's there, there there's no burden of proof. I don't think he bet on the game as a player. I think he absolutely bet on the game as a manager. I think most of the time he probably bet on his own team, although I can't say that with any certainty. So I think that, look, if he had been a Hall of Fame quality manager, maybe you, you know maybe that brings his credentials as a manager into play. But I don't think anybody who ever watched Pete Rose play uh, ever thought that he gave anything less than 100% as a player and his performance was certainly Hall of Fame worthy. So to me, I mean, that's the kind of things that, you know, we're asked to judge on every one of these players. And to me, I would have liked the opportunity.
1: Uh, the guy who won back-to-back MVP awards, is not in the Hall of Fame by the name of Dale Murphy. Um, and there's a guy that played back in the day with the Brooklyn Dodgers that was a premier first baseman of his time in Gil Hodges. He's not in the Hall of Fame. And on both counts, I'm wondering why not.
3: I mean, look. I mean, I, I I do think it's harder to get to get in from the, uh, from the you know, when, when you're on the writer's ballot. I mean, you're know, getting 75% of any, of any of any group to agree on anything is impossible. We had to, you know, if we had to elect a president based on 75% of the people agreeing, we'd never elect a president. It's a hard thing to do to get to 75%. Which is the reason why, you know, you generally get the best of the best. And I think, you know, even people who think those guys belong in the Hall of Fame, and you know, expand that group to include guys like Ethier, Ades, and Dom Adingley. Uh, Dave Parker, Um, you know, you can certainly, you know, see see why maybe they may not have made the, you know, the the grade when you're talking about having to get 75% on the writer's vote. But, you know, it's it's surprising to me that they haven't been given greater consideration, especially Hodges from the Veterans Committee. I do think that you're going to probably see guys like that get in more because I think I do think that uh, we see more of a uh, of a welcoming uh, kind of philosophy among the veterans committees the various veterans committees now that you see a guy like ted simmons and a guy like uh hal baines i mean i, I still have a hard time thinking of Hal bates hall of famer ted simmons i have less of, a, of an issue with but when you look at ted simmons i don't think, I, I don't think he was he, he, he ever got five percent of the vote you know when he was uh, on the ballot and uh, you know i think that's one of the great things about the veterans committee is it gives it gives a guy's career time to breathe and i think that's what's going to happen with guys like the ones you mentioned i think murphy's got a great shot in the veterans committee i think mattingly does i think hernandez does i think hodges definitely does i hope hodges gets in before his wife passes away because that'll be you know it would be it would be tragic i think if uh, if it happens after her death um but to me i mean look at me that it'll be very interesting to see 15 20 years from now when the veterans committee starts pondering guys like Bonds, and Clemens, and A-Rod, and Benny Ramirez, Sammy Sosa, and those guys. You know, right now they have no shot because the Veterans Committee is very anti-performance-dancing drugs. But
1: once the makeup of that committee changes, it'll be interesting to see how that happens for those guys too. You are the man, Mike. Always great talking to you. You stay safe. Thanks again for your contributions. Always, Howard. Good talking to you, buddy. Thanks, man. He's Mike Vaccaro, columnist for the New York Post, top-notch columnist. I, I, I'm sorry I didn't make, make make a mention of the fact when he said um, if Pete Rose were to get in the Hall of Fame, there should be a notation on his plaque that said he missed the game for 30 year period and here's why. Well, if you can do that, then you probably should uh, go into Canton, Ohio, into the Pro Football Hall of Fame and make an addendum to O.J. Simpson's plaque. Put on trial for the murder of his wife, actually did nine years in the penitentiary for another crime. Might as well do that. Fair is fair. Thanks for being a part of Howard David Live, taking a bite of the Big Apple. You stay safe.